welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in er and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah just want to let you guys know that what you're about to hear is very graphic and very triggering. It involves um, a basically a massacre of a family and um, death and trauma to a child to to uh, to children. So if you don't think you can um, listen to this episode. Uh, just just don't and uh it's a hundred percent understood but i really really can't state this enough that this is a very graphic episode okay i think also too it's just um because it involves children that's it's upsetting it's not so much about the blood and guts of it it's it's more that it involves children so well for some people, it may be blood and guts too. Uh, yeah, know what I'm saying. But for me, the part that that I felt more moved by was the fact that it was children involved. So yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's we're just given the trigger warning there. So um, all right, let's let's move on. Well, hello everybody. Good morning. Well, it's morning here. Good morning, afternoon, good evening, good night. No, not good night. That's saying goodbye. No, it's not. It's saying have a good night. Oh, bonsoir. Bonsoir. I want you to say that to me every night from now on. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> if you don't go, bonsoir, I'm going to be like, get out of the bed. Get out of the room. Okay, everybody. Welcome to Stat. A, l- a little levity. Shocking traumas and treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, I should say, and we are your hosts, Karen Wickiam and Mary Gardner, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hey. <laughs> okay, this is the day. I woke up this morning, and um, I, actually, I had a little problem and uh needed to go to the i went to my family doctor and needed to go to the er to uh get it sorted out and while i was there a lot came up for me there were some code whites which uh generally um in hospitals mean that it's um it's a mental health thing maybe someone trying to leave while they're on a form a form for us means a 72-hour observation. Um, you know, sometimes it's called lockdown, but basically they're in a room. They can't leave. They're observed. 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 observed, observed. How do you say that word? Observed? Observed? Yeah, Under observation. How yeah. about that? Or they start to, they can become violent, you know, um, just because they're they're um, in a crisis. So I heard a couple of those go off and just different um, codes and things like that. And I kind of went into my own little world. And then when, you know, people, people were being called, it sort of snapped me out of it. And I was like, okay, it's time to tell this. And I'm not saying, not telling the story or is holding me back in any way. But I just went, yeah, it's time. It's time to tell this story. Um, I don't know why I need to tell it to my listeners. I'm going to say the world, but the world doesn't listen. But you know what I mean. I'm, I don't, I'm not that big of a podcast. <laughs> um, and then a few others have come up. So I stopped doing the hardcore ERs a while back. God, I think it's been almost two years since I've done them. And um, I think there's a couple more I'm going to bring back. Uh, not bring back. I mean, I'm going to bring it back, uh, Hardcore ER, and tell some more of those stories from when I worked at the Children's Hospital, because those have started to come out. So, you know what? Maybe saying them, releasing them will be really cathartic for me. And then also those of you that may be suffering from PTSD um, can feel comfortable or comfort in the fact that you're not alone. 
and um, maybe we can open up some kind of discussion uh, about that. So anyway, I have gone on here. It looks like five minutes we have opened up this uh, segment. So I just want to say I think it's very courageous of you to share this with, um, I think it is cathartic and I think it's um, therapeutic and helpful to yourself and to others who might be going through something similar. So I'm proud of you. Thanks. Um, okay, let's do this. You're wonderful. I want to say something about you and your support at the end of this because we'll never get this started otherwise. Okay, let's go. Okay, it was a sunny day. <laughs> See, I, I don't know how I'm going to, uh, to tell this without trying not to go off, take myself off track with, with humor, but here, let's just, here, this is it. Okay, so this particular day where it was one of the worst cases or scenarios, or it's not even that, one of the worst uh, tragic traumas that I've ever dealt with or experienced or was um, involved in, this took place at the beginning of December. And it was the Christmas party for the staff that night and my son he was part of a a play at the school um and it was the final run of it so it was going to be it's a big deal you know they do it everybody gathers afterwards and um actually this play sent them off to the sears um competition oh yeah serious drama festival yeah, yeah. i was at that yeah, as yeah. A, in a teenager in high school cool yeah so this this was a big deal they ended up going to, to ottawa and um yeah it was it was a big deal so they, they they had done an amazing job and that the closing of that was also that night and i was gonna go there watch it and pick up the the dudes and dudettes and drive them to where they were going and then you know get them later cast party cast party That's, yeah yeah exactly yeah, so you know it was a, it was an important night for Van, and um, I you know I was thinking of stopping by the Christmas party just for you know to say hi to everybody, but probably not because um, you know anyway. So I was working in the tra- I was a trauma nurse that day, and it had been particularly quiet. I know the keyword is like, you know, don't say that, <laughs> like. We so have, let me just I have something to ask. So when you're you're working in ER, but you're specifically assigned as in case a trauma comes in, like a major trauma. Well, I was actually in the trauma room that day. That was any resuscitation that came in, any. Um, so that's like your assigned position. Like sometimes that was, someone's a charge nurse. Someone's. A, I'm the trauma nurse that day. Okay. You have people that work in acute care. Okay. Uh, observation, um, ambulatory care. You know, that's how that ER was set up. Um, Fast track, those types of things. So I was a trauma nurse that day. And so, you know, you have conscious sedations where someone may get their, um, some sutures. Well, there's the suture room too, but something more serious where, you know, maybe a drainage of something, um, of an abscess or resetting a bone. Or resetting a shoulder, reducing a dislocated shoulder. <laughs> someone I know had that happen. Me too. Yeah. Um, so. I was assigned to that today, that day, and it was it was really quiet. I can say it now because I'm not at the hospital. So it was one of those days where you know I went through the entire place to make sure like every single thing was was as it should be, stock up everything. Just you have to do that anyway, but sometimes you don't have time to thoroughly do it because it's just a constant flow through there. So I did that. And then I went out and to help float around the department. So I went to different areas to find out like if someone they could use some help or relieve um, for breaks and stuff like that. So it's coming up around 2.30 and, you know, that's halfway through the shift. Um, and I'm just like, okay, you know, it's just weird. And this other nurse that I worked with who was also the float nurse for that day as well so this is like 2 30 in the afternoon in the afternoon yeah so so what were you working that day days okay what's a day like 11 7 to 7 7 7. yeah here I am thinking it's an eight-hour shift no 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 (laughs) 7 to 7 7 to 7 all right yeah um so I'm gonna call her um Beth let's just say 
So Beth was the float nurse that day as well. So she was that was her assigned place to go from area to area to area to help and also to cover ambulances if they were to have to line up in the hallway to have to treat people in the hallway. Anyway, she has this gut that is brilliant and horrible at the same time. And she's like, something's coming in. I'm just like, shut up. And she's like, nope. I, I have a really terrible feeling that someone something's coming in. It's just been... It's so quiet and I can't tell you why. And she's the kind of person that is right pretty much 90% of the time when this happens. The other thing is she is probably one of the best trauma nurses I have ever worked with. This woman can work in any area and be brilliant, including charge, which she hated to do. Um, but as far as trauma goes, I would feel really great about or I'd feel best if I knew she was one of the trauma nurse that, that this she was going to be someone that gave the best shot so it was great having her as like sort of my backup knowing if something came in okay so at around three o'clock I always remember the time there is a call that comes through um you hear it like it, almost like a walkie-talkie sound and it's coming because there is like a like one of those little CB, not CB, but you know what I mean. And it's like, we have, um, you know, it's a very serious traumatic case. And at that point, they said, officer down. So we were like, holy shit. And her husband was a cop in the area. So she's like, oh my God. And he was working that day. So right away, she was like freaking out, right? And oh, there were a couple cops that were with like standing in front of the doors where, you know, the psych patients were. I have never seen a people run so fast in my life. This one female cop just holy, like she was like, pew, out of there. And like in the ambulance bay, they had their, their truck or their car in the ambulance bay. Boom, the other guy comes out. And you just hear full sirens and we our guts, like our, 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 our hearts, everything went into our stomach. And then we're just like, almost like just standing there for a second because the calls, like things are still coming through. So then the calls changed, said officer, there's no officer down. But we have, um, if it, we have two seriously injured people coming in one was a kid one was an adult and we're talking critically injured so we're like okay so we're just like we're getting in the rooms we're getting set up it's total chaos when this starts to happen but it's organized chaos you know exactly what to do but people are like pew, 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 running in every direction call comes in two more we've got four um critically injured people coming in and then another call we got a fifth so we're like we've got maybe five to 10 minutes where they are to get these rooms set up. So the organization for this was off the hook. It was incredible. So we had to get five beds fully ready for complete full trauma. We had five beds in that room. Two were trauma rooms, three were, uh, two were resuscitation. And one was where you would do the, the, um, the con conscious sedations, but it had all the basic stuff that you needed. Um, so all the rooms, so we had to assign a nurse for each room. We had to get every possible doctor there. So the ER doctors were there. We were calling down, um, like a surgeon, a pediatric doctor, um, and, an, uh, anesthesiologists, respiratory therapists, uh, nurses. Cause we heard there was three kids coming in. Um, we had uh, nurses from NICU, from like everybody, just our ICU, just boom. And there, God, there must have been 30 or more people. And it was like almost, it was eerily quiet. Yeah, like the calm before, yeah, like the calm before the storm. Well, you could just. What, what um, I'm curious about just that kind of logistics. So what do they, do they get a call? Do they get a page and still use pages? What do they get like, like 91111 or something? Like well, what a, kind? a call goes throughout the hospital. Okay. 
and then but in but and then there's like a page that goes through through doctors and then phone calls start happening like immediately get the charge nurse on the phone we've got uh and they would have heard something overhead um that that type so of who thing. does that the charge nurse does the calls no no the charge nurse is trying to help organize like get but she's delegating and also the the ward clerks just know what to do so they're getting shit ready yeah they don't get enough credit eh? they don't they're amazing um and so the charge nurse and then you've got um the 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 nurse uh the that she's a bed manager and you know helps move patients around so she's there and she's like even like she's trying to to whip and get things so like a bed manager is also underrated because she knows exactly what's going on on every floor with different patients so she we've got the bed manager on it you've got the charge nurse on it you've got the ward clerks on it um you've got like calls are just being whipped through to get everybody there. And it was amazing. And like I said, the it was, wheels go into motion. Oh and, yeah. yeah. It's just like, you can see how an ER can work in a disaster or can work in the most crazy c- conditions. Code orange. Yeah. And so, like I said, it was eerily quiet in there except for the noises of like people weren't really, it was like, excuse me, okay. Like everybody just kind of knew what to, to do and they were just focused on getting, like we're talking like you have to get, we were getting IV lines set up with the bags. We were getting um, um, cut down kits like uh, catheters so you can do like, um, um, like put in femoral lines. Central line. Yeah, and stuff uh, like art lines, all that kind of stuff. So these are very specific kits that are set up that, are very, you know, it's, it's, it's not just your regular put in an IV You're you're feeding this down, you know, into an artery or into a femoral vein or into a neck, you know, these are serious things. So we're, we've got everything going, we've got everything set up and the, the first person comes in, it's an adult. So it actually ends up being three adults and two kids. They set me up in a kid to do a a child because of my experience as an ER pediatric nurse. And so I've got my room. We've got the most crazy setup rooms out of all the rooms. Um, they're meant for these types of, of scenarios. So the, then it happens, the doors like sort of crash open. It's like how you expect it to happen, but not, not totally how you see it on TV, but seriously, boom, EMS is there. They're getting, and, and, and EMS also helps the best as they can once they get there, but they have to be on standby for other things that are going out anyway, because they're crowded at the scene. You know, how many ambulances and all that kind of stuff down. And there's calls coming through that maybe an EMS is hurt, maybe a cop is hurt, because this scene was a horrific scene. And I'll get to it in a minute. So... The first person comes in, goes into the first um, bay, and they've been shot three times. And it was like, you know, what went into full mode. Then the um, five-year-old comes into my room, and it was like, all right, we're in. Then a mom, then the mom comes in of the child. Then the second child comes in. And then the father comes in. So we have an unknown man shot, two children, a mother and a father. And you know it's happening, but you're like, somehow that runs in the background, but you're still full on what you're doing. So this is what happened. There was a um, birthday party going on. Um, so the mom, she had a, uh, um, she was divorced and had married, remarried, and she had two children with the ex, and she had two children with the current, and it was a birthday party with other kids there, 
relative kids, like cousins, that kind of stuff. The ex was a complete psychopath. Like he was just abusive, horrible human being. He harassed the hell out of her. He was stalking her. Um, he was a, a major threat. He had threatened her. You know, if you can think about the worst type of st stalker, psychopath, uh, abuser, there is. And he was always coming by their place threatening and wanting the kids. And, and there was a restraining order, you name it. He kept breaking it. And the, the new husband was just like, that didn't deter him at all. He's like, we're together. And I've got you. I've got our kids. I've got our family. So anyway, so this guy uh, shows up with a hammer uh, duct taped to one hand and a butcher knife duct taped to his other hand so that it wouldn't slip out of his hands. And he was screaming down this hallway she opened the door to like, you know, fuck off. I'm not sure she would say that, but you know, like, come on now. And he came charging in. He stabbed her repeatedly. Stabbed her new husband. Moved. The kids were kind of crowding, whatever. Moved in used the hammer and bashed in the skull of the um, five-year-old. Then went after the eight-year-old, hit him with the hammer, and um, the, the police had been called prior because he was, you know, what he was doing. There was an older brother. So what the was the so were the police en route? Yes. Okay. They were already en route. There was an older brother and a cousin. No, I'm I'm wrong. There was an older cousin who grabbed a hold of a couple of younger kids, ran them up the stairs and hid in a closet with them to keep them safe. So this kid's a hero. So that's the situation. Um, now were the, now were these his own kids or the, the new kids? Or do you know that? They were, they were, um, one was his and the one was the, um, the new hurt, husband. Why would you hurt your own kid? Why I, would you hurt any kid? But I, I know what you're saying. You know. I just feel sick. Just, yeah. Yeah. Thinking about it. I can't even imagine. Do you need to walk? Like, do you need to stop? Um, no, I'm okay. I just need a, a drink of water. Okay, so I'll just carry on here. Um, okay, so police arrive on scene. The guy, after he did it, runs. The cops arrive and they're like, stop. He comes at the cop with the hammer. The cop shot him three times. Okay, so I don't want, that's what happens. Yeah, so he's shot. Deservedly so. Yeah. Now, the other police arrive on scene, and that cop now, as per protocol, has to be taken away from the scene because he shot somebody, and he's taken to um, the police station and sequestered in a room by himself, because that's just the way they they do it. He can't, they they don't have the cop carry on, and they got the suspect and everything like this. So the other cops are there. The ambulances were arriving and going into the scene. Now the scene is cleared. And so because the 911 was called, the ambulances were on their way as well. But the scene had to be cleared before they could go in. So they're waiting to go in to this bloodbath. And they're, they're like, let us in. But they had to make sure everything was clear. So finally they were cleared to go in. And the first paramedic that went in is oh, such an amazing man. And I'm not just going to call everybody amazing, but he is. This guy is like one of the most loved paramedics. And he was a father of three, all in these ages. 
So he had to like shove that aside because basically those were his kids, you know. And there's it's just a bloodbath. <clears throat> the other paramedics come in. They all decide who has to go first. Okay. Somehow, the uh, not anybody's fault because they didn't necessarily know what was happening in there. The father, the one that did this horrific shit, was the first one to arrive at the hospital. Right, but you didn't know at that time. Well, no one, no one necessarily knew. Okay, so the the knives and the hammer, all that had been removed, and you know, right there at the scene. And I, I don't know who did it. Okay, and maybe they just, I, it's, it's irrelevant. And he came in first because you just. He just did. And when, so the one nurse I've called Beth sees this. She's the one to get the first trauma and realizes he's the one that's been shot in her head. She's like, fuck you. But that doesn't change anything. You know, they, they did everything they could for this, this person, but they had been, you know, mortally wounded and, uh, they, they it was called pretty quick. Center mass. But this is where you're like, what? Center mass. Center mass. Center. Well, they shoot center mass, right? Oh, I, I don't know. Anyway. So well, I'm assuming he was shot. I, I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, he had some like, um, it was all, yes, like a abdominal chest. And he died shortly after. And, you know, in her head, and all of their heads, they're like, fuck you. But you, you have to shove that back. And then click into that that mode. Yeah, well, especially for her because her husband her husband's a police officer. Exactly. It could have been you know. Yeah. What if it could have been a scenario where? Yeah. So that he, that 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 was called soon after um, they arrived. But now the next one to come in was the child that I took care of. Now I'm gonna have to put a, a trigger warning at the beginning of this uh, case because it is um, uh, very triggering. So I got this five-year-old and he was already posturing, which means that there's, you know, major brain damage. Now, um, his little fists were like clenched and turned in and his legs were, anyway, he was, he was posturing because he had such bad brain damage. Um, he was just white, pale, and... Obviously, he was in shock. Obviously, things were shutting down. And so now we've got a room full of people. We've got a doctor, ER doctor. We've got RT. We've got the ambulance bringing them in. We've got another physician. We've got me and another nurse. So I immediately try to, like, he's, as we're doing this, someone's hooking him up, you know, to the monitor. We're, we're getting all this. And I also had it, we had a pediatric, pediatric crash cart set up. So we had it, like, good to go. Um... I tried to start an IV, um, it just blew. And there's one thing I was, I've been proud of in my career is that I've always been excellent at IVs. I learned how to start IVs on neonates, right? So um, I was, you know, sometimes the one called for kids to start the IVs and stuff. So I'm always confident going in. I'm not cocky, but I'm confident. And boom, the first one blew. And I, I just know, like, his veins are flat. He doesn't have a lot of blood flow going. Um, I just went to his AC in his arm, which is, like, inside the elbow. And I was able to get something. Um, but, I mean, it's precarious. You don't know how it's going to stay. And you can't lose these lines. So then I moved down to his leg to try to get one in a saphenous vein, which is just around the ankle. It's a big, fat vein there people don't often think about. But it's sort of short. So you have to... Anyway, I was able to get something there. Um, now the child was placed on the stretcher and you're very carefully, carefully holding the body in a position so that the neck is protected, the head is protected, the body, right? So the, um, RT was holding, like was in charge, like just sort of in the right position. RT's respiratory tech? Yeah. Respiratory tech therapist. Sorry. Respiratory therapist. Yeah, and Pardon. they were holding this little guy's head, but his skull was 
fractured and parts of his brain were actually in their hand. So they were holding this skull to their head and literally holding the brains in this kid's head. Yeah. So we're doing everything we can for this kid. I didn't know that at the time, but it became apparent shortly after. Did I mean, did they say something? The respiratory therapist must have Well, said. yeah. I mean, but it's sort of like they're sort of like not realizing how incredibly bad it is because and, and, until they're like sort of looking around the area. So this one particular ER doctor who I fucking hate. I hated him at the time. I hated working with him. He was just a corrupt son of a bitch that would sign off on shit he didn't do or for other doctors so that they can get paid. That's a whole story of how ERs can work when they're not paid by the, when they're not when they're paid per patient as opposed to and paid per service as opposed to a, a pay We'll get to that later. It doesn't matter right now. So we worked and we're working and we're working on this kid. Um, and, you know, I'm assisting to try to put in an arterial line and the cut downs and to get the femoral lines. We're trying what, to get... What's a cut down? Is you have to cut down a vein and feed through this, this really big uh, cannula and then you sew it back up and tape it in place because it's such a big line. But you, we need huge lines right now. Because we got to slam blood and fluids into this kid because he's bleeding out. So, you know, this is this is what what's going on. Um, we've got a blood warmer in the room. We're just throwing up one pack of unit of blood at a time. We had run out of blood in the in the hospital. Like it was not totally run out, but pretty much used up all most resources um, to deal with all of this. Uh, of course, there's so many other things that I, I you know, I'm, I, I can't necessarily think of right at this moment. So while we're working on him, I hear this, this, scr these screams coming in from the hallway and from a woman and it's the mother and she's screaming, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Before she came in, the, the like eight year old brother came in and his luckily he survived this and he had, you know, a really bad, uh, skull fracture, but he survived. And the father had come in and he had been stabbed in, um, the liver and spleen. And he was considered like the least critical, you know, it's just absolutely insane. Uh, yeah. So he stabbed in your liver and spleen is pretty critical, I think. Yeah. And so she's screaming, I'm going to die. In the bed next to her is her eight-year-old who's hearing this. And there's just a drape in between because it isn't separate rooms like where I was in. And I had to run and get more blood. And the, the blood machine uh, cooler was right beside his bed. What I see is one of our ward clerks sitting beside him with her hands over his ears. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, sweetie. I have to stop for a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little uh, more composed now. Um, she had her... Uh, his head's all wrapped up. And she had her hands over his ears and she's just saying, looking him in his eyes and saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And she was, you know, trying to distract him by saying certain things, but it was just such a, um, juxtaposition, uh, just a loving human being. Yeah. Uh, this just shows you how. You know, the, everybody's involved, right? Well, that's that's the point. Is that everybody? A doctor out. has like come in and checked on on this child. He's he's stable. He's got a, a fracture, but he's he's stable. Um, and here she is. She just jumps in and in the middle of all this insanity and and focuses on in on that. This my job is to bring 
comfort to this kid, try to distract him from what's going on and try to stop him from hearing his mother screaming. Um, I guess I'm choked up too because I think about um, being a mother. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, what happened is that she did in fact die there on the sea, in the hospital. She had um, cardiac tamponade, which is she was stabbed um, in the chest and uh, and other areas, and the blood had um, pulled around her heart and was filling so fast that the heart couldn't pump, and they just couldn't get it out fast enough. So, yeah, she um, she died. Um, the uh, the father was considered stable as well. And uh, so we kept on working on this this child that if I was at the children's hospital, it would have been called. Because at this point, it's more about um, the doctor than it is about letting this child die with dignity. Because this son of a bitch just wanted to be, yeah, I did it, you know. So I kind of just, I stepped back because there was a lot of people there and I just sort of had to step back. And in my head, I wanted to scream like, fucking call it. Call it. Okay. And I knew the condition of the child and his brain injury. Well, yeah, I mean, at this point. I don't even know how he's still alive at this point. Like at this point is, I can't, I mean, that it sounds like such a traumatic injury. Like you're. It, a person holding it's not conducive to life in. let's just put it this way well yeah not and i so at this point he's almost blood out yeah the oxygen to the brain would be his his he's not he's not he's not there anymore he is who are we who are we if you believe in things we our soul is a big part of who we are if you if that's what you believe it's what i believe i believe we have a soul and this is not a religious thing. This is just who, what I believe. And everything we are is in our brain, right? Our thought process, our memories, our personalities. That was gone. This is a body. And I'm not being cold. But no. every, the more that you stick needles and cut down and, and like, I mean, I haven't even brought up the drugs that we were like flying through his body. The more that you're doing this, like, why? Why are you doing this? Well, at this point, if you're, if you are someone who believes in God, I would be, ho I would be thinking like, I hope to God that he's already there in God's arms and just, I, I don't, not, not suffering anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, we all have our different beliefs and I don't want to make this about, um, a religious thing, but, uh, there is a spiritual component to this. So I just sort of, I couldn't do it anymore. I could not do anything more to this kid's body. So I grabbed, um, I mean, things are being yelled across the room. And so a doctor says something, uh, there's a, a nurse that like, uh, there's a trauma team leader, doctor, trauma team leader, nurse. And the doctor says, you know, so much of epinephrine, the nurse goes, so says that back and then it's done. Right. But, but everything's already set up and ready to go, but everybody was all jumping in. So then I just grabbed the, the chart and I just started doing that because I couldn't do anymore. And I, I kind of just like, I was in a dream world. I was in a dream, like not a dream world, but I was just like, you know, you hear the, <laughs> in some movies where it's just like this tone that you hear. Right. And I was so like almost autopilot. Yeah. Of. And I was just like, I was just a robot writing everything down. And then I'd have a, a, the odd, there was a, um, a critical care doctor that was like asking me to pass him things. And so I was doing that and, um, and whatever. So, uh, so yeah, um, by the time things were at that point, he was technically alive. They had thrown so much epinephrine and other drugs into his body that his heart could do, it, it couldn't beat, could not beat. You know what I mean? Right. It could not beat. It was just like, so then the, 
the life flight landed. They loaded the little guy up onto to take him out to the stretcher. And as they left, uh, as they were leaving, they were trying. They were flying him straight to the pediatric hospital, a world-renowned pediatric hospital. Let's just put it that way. And he was technically alive. So, you know that they they show post what the, uh, an ER looks like after it. It's every bit that you know. Everything is just everywhere. You I mean there's lines, there's blood, there's the rooms are what you expect them to look like. Just an absolute war zone. Um. So I'm I'm at the nurse's station at this point. Trying, I have probably twenty pages of notes that I now have to make sense of so that because this is you know this you know obviously is a huge case so I'm sitting there trying to again you're just in robot mode trying to like I mean obviously I can't fix all of them but I can sort of you know take everything and put it in some kind of order um so as I'm at the station this fucking doctor comes out and he's like, puts his hand, his arm up to high five people. It's like, we did it. High five. And one or two people high fived, like high fived him, but they looked like they just didn't want to. They didn't even want to like respond, but you know, and other people were just looking at him like you fucking asshole. And I almost leaped over the counter and like fucking choked him. I was so angry because clearly this wasn't about the kid. This is about him coming out as a fucking hero. Right. Yeah. This is about him going, I did it. So, um, yeah, this is about making a narcissist, a complete, like, oh, I was so angry. I was, I honestly was like, if you see red, I was seeing fucking red. Um, I walked away. Um, washed my face, came back, and just went into total, you know, getting the notes done. I look at the time, and it's like now going on 9.30. And I'm like, oh, shit. holy, sorry, it was closer to 9, because the the everything ended going on to the next shift. So I'm like almost three hours, well, two and a half hours into trying to sort these through these notes and I can't leave until it's done. And I know the play's going on. I'm just like, well, I got to do this, but more than anything in the world, I want to hug my kid. Right. I want to, this is, you know, I'm so fortunate. I want to see my son. I'm not going to tell him what happened, but I just really need to see him. Um, when I was done, I always change out of my clothes after like, especially after a trauma, but change out of your clothes. You don't wear the same shoes. You leave everything there. You put your clothes in a bag, you either throw them out <laughs> or you, you know, yeah, you, like your scrubs or whatever. Yeah. And then you, or you wash them completely separately from, from everything else. Like man knew I would have a bag just, <laughs> you know, that I would get changed sometimes. Um, if I did drive home in the, um, in the garage, and then the laundry room was on the other side. And then I just knew, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. So no one puts their clothes in here. Maybe I was overcautious, but whatever. Um, but I didn't change. <laughs> like, I was not even, like, in that point. And I had scrubs on that had, like, blood on them and stuff. Now, this is, this may sound like, to some people, like, ooh, that's just, that's just so unprofessional. And so, you know, you know, why would you do that? And, you know. No, no one's going to judge you for that. Don't but, that. well. You know, people, yes. So I had a long coat that kind of went to mid-thigh, and I wrapped my, I just put my coat on. And I did change my shoes, just kicked off clogs, threw on some uh, shoes, or, and then out the door, drove, like, straight to his school, and got in time for the last little bit of the play sat down and just cried a little bit like I wasn't like but tears 
you know, were coming because I saw this production, this amazing production. Then I was, then I was like, sort of like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I meet them all in the hallway. I'm like, okay, where are we going? I'll come get you later. You know, everything's groovy. Everything's fine. That's all done with. Um, then I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll stop by the, the, the Christmas party now. They're all dropped because now I'm just like opposite direction, like just completely just moved into a whole different mode. I just think it'd be great to go there, see some people, hang out a little bit, kind of a distraction. I don't even know. I get in and all these people are like, what happened? What happened? We heard what happened. Blah, blah, blah. And they, they wanted, they were just all around me asking questions. And I knew immediately that was a bad idea to go there. So I was just like, I can't, I, no, I can't talk about it. I mean, especially in this situation, they're like, eh, come on, come on. Anyway, I just left. I went back to our house now, this was a day shift, and now I was flipping into nights. So it gives you kind of like 24 hours off. So I could have slept, got up for a few hours, did some stuff, take a nap, go on to nights. I didn't do any of that. I did not sleep. I went into nights directly with zero sleep. I cleaned my house like it's never been cleaned before, and I was manic. I was just like, <laughs> like just absolutely manic, doing everything, like just the craziest stuff. So like almost like a shock. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then, so it's time to go to work. And I mean, I'm cooking this, I'm doing that, I'm cleaning this. And hey, hey Van, do you want me to drive you to school? And all this, I was like, and I mean, I went and picked up, picked him up later, brought him home, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and I vaguely remember him saying like to me, are you okay, mom? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, kind of looking at me. I'm just like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. Um, So then I went into work that night and I'm in acute care which I've explained before is like where very ill people come in. Um, and I've got my four patients and I'm doing my stuff. And then my one cardiac patient was uh, not doing so well. And I needed to get a change in his orders, called the cardiologist, got the call and I'm taking the notes for med changes and all that kind of stuff. And I think I've told this before, like I see water, where I'm writing and it's blurring the the ink I'm like what and I'm looking up at the ceiling like where is this coming from and I'm like I'm fucking crying like what the hell what is going on I'm am I snapping like what's going on so I um I went to the charge nurse who also happened to be the um the union head for our department and I was just like I don't know what's going on with me and she's like, you need to go home. I'm like, but who's going to cover me? She's like, we got it. Don't worry about it. She gave me like a massive hug. I drove home. I was off for a couple of days afterwards. You know, they sort of said, just take some time. And I'm in that time going, loser, 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 over and over in my head. Because I couldn't fucking hack it. And I had to take some days off for this. And everybody else is strong enough. They can handle it. And I'm just such a fucking loser that, you know, why am I not strong enough and good enough to do this? Now, you've got the look on your face like, but you know better. And it's like, that doesn't... I still doubt myself. I, I, I don't even know how you... So I, I, I don't know how you even did that job like it would destroy me well it it, it kind of destroyed me that I could know I was not effective like I was no I was how could everybody else do it I went back to work again and slowly I was just double triple checking everything I was doing I was high end anxiety panic I was like gravel checking gravel like three four times i mean that's a very it's gravel you know i'm hanging lines for sailing that are you know to run like 100 mils a an hour and i'm checking it and i'm checking it and i'm checking it and i'm just i'm not functioning now in a, in any setting especially it's almost like a hyper vigilant i was yeah i just i couldn't and then we were having patients that needed you know digoxin and different things like that something that i felt comfortable doing uh you know you double check with another staff member whatever but i was just very comfortable with these things follow orders look at blah, blah, blah. 
and I just, I couldn't. So I just, that day, the same nurse was working that day, but not in charge. But I knew I could trust her. And I said, I can't, I can't do this. I don't, I think I'm a liability um, in that area because I'm taking too long to do things. And, and she took me out to the, to an area where we could talk. And because um, I was just t- grabbed her in the hall. I didn't grab her, but I approached her in the hallway. And we went to this back area. That's a really quiet area behind the nurse's station. And I just broke down and she broke down with me and she hugged me really tight. And she said, I got your back, go home and don't come back until you're ready. And that gave me permission to take a breath. And, um, that was pretty much the last time I worked. (laughs) And, uh, I still feel shame for that. Um, I still feel like a failure and no one can tell me otherwise. I know that I'm not, but I don't know that I'm not. Um, and I mourn my job. I'm just sitting here with <laughs> tears going down my cheeks. But I, I, I mourn. I'm so proud of you. I mourn I, my job. I mourn my profession. And I just, after 20 years, I couldn't hack it. And, uh. I don't know if you, I don't like that term. I know, I, I know, I know, because you're sweet and you're kind and you're supportive and you're amazing and you've been. There's only so much a human. But why am I not strong enough? Why am I such a failure that I can't do my fucking job? My job was my identity. It's who I am. I mean, I'm a mother first. Um, I'm a, I'm a partner, I'm a wife. How do you know other people? I don't, I don't know. Aren't, you know, like there's so much in the first responders, there's tons of people suffering in silence and covering it up with alcohol and drugs and any other kind of things that, you know, they just keep going, but aren't really living. I, they're not dealing with it. It, it, it all, it led to a full uh i can get into that another time where where everything led to um you know i ultimately ended up getting help for it and in an amazing ptsd program and i was ashamed to even go that but the one thing about doing that was everybody there was between the ages of 35 and and 50 i was early 40s at the time no mid whatever i don't even remember mid to whatever and I went and uh, everybody there was either uh, military, police, EMS, nurse, doctor, people that had suffered from childhood trauma. Most of the people there suffered from childhood trauma. Well, I think that's the thing, right? You I know, mean, you, you add that on to yeah. being in the helping field and more trauma, right? My childhood trauma did not come out until then but there was there were so many of those what do you call those moments aha moments where people would say something i'd go what in my head fuck you too i'm not crazy i'm not weak i'm not this i'm not that and i learned so many it was an eight-week program inpatient absolutely incredible um i went twice because i needed to and uh, sometimes I can't cover it all in that. But um, it's one of the things that I think saved me because it helped me. Yeah, it just helped me tremendously. Uh, my psychiatrist <laughs> has helped me tremendously. Uh, social workers. But at the core of everything was my son. And I mean, it's not that he knows really about this case at all. He just knows there was a case unless he's going to listen to this episode, but he's always grounded me and and kept me focused on what's important in life. Um, my friends at work that, uh, didn't, uh, abandon me and, uh, and you as you came along later and, um, you see me, I mean, what are some of the, I mean, we can, let's do a second episode on, what it's like to maybe live with somebody with PTSD and um, after, you know, working in the ER and, and things like that. So 
maybe let's do another episode and then maybe you can give your perspective of what it's like to live with me but more like not just about me just experiencing what you experience from your level because I worry so much that <laughs> what the fuck is my shit doing to you you know well I've definitely learned a lot and I think you know mental health is such an important subject and I'm always learning I'm learning how I can help okay there goes my cat Okay, you guys just heard my cat jump up there. <laughs> Are we still recording? Yeah, we're still recording. Might as well. Finn had to Finn. get uh, into it. Yeah. Um, well, animals yeah. definitely help. They're oh, my God. They're a great therapy. And, uh, but I've learned a lot about, you know, um, how I can understand and help my patients better, understanding myself better. So it's been a process for sure. But, and... Uh, um, do you feel like you've gotten support? Like, do you feel okay? Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Well, let's do a second episode on, on this. Are you, uh, like, we can talk about it from your yeah, perspective. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, as a that. partner of somebody that suffers from complex PTSD. So, um, that's it. That's the case. Big exhale. That's the one uh, I haven't talked about. And, um... Yeah, that's it. Uh, I think I may be forgetting a few things. Horrific. It, I I don't know how anybody functions after seeing that kind of carnage, that kind of... But you see, I've dealt with cases th at the children's hospital, not as many, but at least one at a time that were as bad in a singular moment with one child. So it was this... But there's a cumulative effect, right? Yeah. O over your lifetime. And that was it. I mean, I didn't and even then, think about the cases. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't even think about those cases and they didn't come out until I was there. And to this day, I hear babies crying. We were at the store the other day and I kept looking and saying, can you hear that? Can you hear that? Anyway, uh, there was is, a kid wailing, but in between I was like, you know, anyway, um, Let's talk about this on another episode. Maybe let's do a second um, part two of this yeah. to talk and about let's things. Let's talk whether... about how the actual physiology of the brain changes as well from yeah. Let's trauma. let's do that. Let's do uh, the next step. Let's do a part two to this, and we'll talk about PTSD in general. But I want to focus on you and living with somebody because I think you need to be heard and have a voice, and um, which I hope that you've had all along. But I think that people need to hear it. So that's the case. Um, that's it. You guys have heard it. Um, yeah. There's a few things I think I'm forgetting to do. Uh, if in this episode I forget to give a shout out or a, a thank you, um, please forgive me on that. And I will on the next episode. I just, uh, I'm a little like scattered now. Um, but I do love you guys and every single one of you that listen. I don't know some of you, obviously, but the fact that you you listen to this uh, is is amazing. Um, to all my Patreon supporters, love you guys. Uh, if you want to go check out Patreon, um, uh, the it's a stat shocking traumas and treatments. Um, there's some great perks there. Always, always appreciated. Uh, thank you, Patreon uh, peeps. To all the people on Facebook, you guys are amazing. Love amazing. you. If you love, guys aren't on there. Uh, love the sharing and the posting. Yeah. And welcomes and. Yeah. So if you guys aren't if aren't on there, go please go check it out. The Twitter account isn't very busy, but Mary does her best because I suck at it. Um, so, um, but you do a good job. Um, and Instagram, I just don't get Instagram at all. <laughs> so um, if anybody out there wants to run my Instagram account, uh, no, you know, <laughs> whatever, I, obviously. Uh, anyway, I'm mumbling on because I, I kind of don't know what else to do right now, but I do mean uh, it when I thank you all. And um, From the bottom of our hearts. I, yes, absolutely. And um, more than ever, please, um, not to sound like a uh, cliche, but hug your kids, hug your family, hug your bestie, hug your dog, hug the people that, that love you, um, hug yourself, and... Uh, that's it. That's it for today. Remember to love yourself. Peace. One love.
True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.